Evans. Great to be back with you. Uh, thankful to be just a small part of uh, this study you guys have done through Proverbs. We're going to look at Proverbs 31, the last section of Proverbs 31 today. If you have your Bibles, you can start turning there. But really, Proverbs 31 in this section is a summation of everything you guys have been studying for the past many months in Proverbs. So since this is our last week in Proverbs, I did want to take just a little bit of time for us to try and summarize some lessons learned. And maybe that'll be a good segue for you guys next week as you consider questions and trying to get some answers. Um, but I want to hear from you guys on what have we learned from this valuable, and in my opinion, maybe your opinion will be different, valuable, though, study of Proverbs. And you guys can volunteer, or I can start posing some questions, but my questions may be harder than what you would come up with on your own as far as what you have learned so far from Proverbs. So let's hear, whether it was a theme, whether it was a favorite proverb that you have, whether it was some level of instruction, a concept, anything you got. What have we learned from Proverbs? Say it again. How to play pool. How to play pool. Okay. So, yeah, Proverbs can instruct everything, right? So, okay, yeah. You learned the one thing from Chris Mountain. I'm, I'm kind of hurt, but okay. Like I said, my questions are harder, so, yeah. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool returns to its sin. Okay, that is a, a fantastic proverb. What does that mean? How do you apply that in your life? Just don't be a fool, like don't keep going back into the same sin over and over again. That's right. So proverbs, very common, give us this picture that illustrates reality of what's going on, right? And oftentimes, we need to see our return to sin the same way as we'd see a dog returning to his own vomit. Disgusting, right? Oftentimes, we don't. We need Proverbs to remind us of those truths. That's great. I think this is the fourth or fifth time I've talked with you guys on Proverbs. And every time I've asked, what is wisdom? So maybe let's start with that, because I know at least five times you guys have answered that. What is wisdom? All right. Why does it both have to be the Rassy boys? Because they've answered me every time. So, all right, go for it. Worshiping God by rightly applying his truth to real life situations. That's great. So worshiping God by right, rightly applying. What are we applying? His truth, right? And how do we find his truth? In the Bible, all right, uh, to real life situations. And you guys and all of us are in seasons of life that we always need that. We need God's word applied to real life situations. So maybe have any of you in the past several months applied the truths that you've been learning through Proverbs to a real-life situation that you're willing to share? Or maybe easier, maybe you've heard a friend apply a real truth to a real situation. Come on, don't make our teaching for nothing. What about in how you've made decisions? I know it was kind of a forgettable talk that someone gave, so that was another, that was another dig on Chris, okay, if you guys want to track it. So. Have we used Proverbs to help us make any decisions lately? College. There's not necessarily just one right answer. That's right. Absolutely. So you decide where to go to college? Congratulations. <laughs> Very cool. So making a college decision, that's a big one. That's a big life 
decision that you have to make. Anyone else brave enough to share? What about, uh, what are the paths that Proverbs provides? What's the fork in the road every time we come against something? What is the fork in the road that we can go one way or we can go another? There's two big themes presented in Proverbs over and over and over again. Go for it. Folly, which leads to death. Yep. Wisdom, which leads to life. Yeah, folly that leads to death. Wisdom that leads to life. Every day, many moments in the day, you're going to have to make the decision, am I going to choose the path of folly that leads to death, or am I going to choose the path of wisdom that leads to life, that leads to God's blessing? These are truths we need to be reciting to ourselves over and over and over again. You're not going to outgrow them, but you are setting uh, foundations that are going to be a blessing to you throughout your entire life. So even as we wrap up Proverbs here today, don't stop meditating on these truths. You can go to Proverbs over and over again. As you've seen, once we get through the first nine chapters, it's just kind of bullet points, right? It's, you could say it's a, it's a meme, right? You can bring these things to bear. You can meditate on them these day in, day out. You can write these on note cards, put them on your phone, put them on a, a, you know, the front of your screen so you're seeing these things over and over again. You could take just one proverb a day and focus on that. You could read through one chapter of Proverbs a day and do that for uh, an entire year. So one chapter a day, you're essentially going to get through Proverbs in a, one month because there's 31 chapters. If you double up and come up a couple of the months that only have 30 days, you could get through Proverbs 12 times this coming year. So if you're looking for a new Bible study or looking for a New Year's resolution as we come up on January 1st, think about reading through Proverbs one time per month. That's only one chapter a day. Very doable. I don't want us to walk away and forget all of these things. Kind of like a dog coming back to its vomit, okay? If we don't meditate on these things, if we don't really let them change our lives, uh, what was the point of any of it? So today in Proverbs 31, we're going to uh, turn our attention towards a question that has plagued society recently, a question that has gone unanswered by some of the top minds of our day. You have Supreme Court justices that aren't able to answer this question. You have politicians that are supposedly the, the top in their field are not able to answer this question. And dare even say there are scientists and biologists that can't even answer this question. The question that no one can seem to answer these days is what is a woman? What is a woman? Now, I feel incredibly qualified to stand up and share with you what a woman is, all right? But thankfully, you're not relying on my qualifications as a man in order to answer these questions. We're going to rely on God's word to help define that. God's word does not leave us lacking, does not leave us wanting to know what is a woman. And we're going to specifically see what is a biblical woman. And particularly in our, in our passage, we're going to see what successful biblical woman looks like. And, and maybe today we'll compare that against how society would define that. But... If you would, let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to read Proverbs 31. We'll start in verse 10, and I'm going to go all the way through the end of the chapter here. And this will be helpful for you as we consider and how we define what a woman is. Proverbs 31, starting in 
Verse 10, an excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the staff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates and when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes the linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and with the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well in the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let, the work, let her works praise her in the gates. Let's pray as we consider these words. Uh, Father, you have given us an example here from your word of what it looks like to be a godly woman, Lord, uh, particularly in this setting, uh, what it means to be a godly wife. Father, this is, if we're going to explore, is completely different than what the world defines as a successful woman, as a, as a successful wife. But Father, just soften our hearts today as we consider this model uh, that you have for us, Lord. Uh, let us see, even in different seasons of life, how we, we may have a hard time bringing this down to street level of how this is going to apply, just the beauty uh, of what you have created and the importance uh, of this role, Lord. Uh, Father, just uh, prepare our hearts as we consider these things. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to contrast a little bit today of how society defines a successful woman and how a Bible, or how the Bible defines a successful woman. So, what would we put out there as how society defines a successful woman? And guys, I don't just need the girls answering this today, so we can all just think this through. How does society define a successful woman? Yeah, so somebody with money. Great. What else? Independent. Independent. Ooh, there's a really popular word these days. Yep. An independent woman. I think there's a song about that. Society says, how would they define him, a successful woman? Who thinks Taylor Swift is successful? Why is Taylor Swift successful? 
Rich, so lots of money. Why else? Popular. A lot of people know her. Does anyone in here not know who Taylor Swift is? <laughs> okay. Why else is Taylor Swift successful? What's that? Talent, Talent sure. Now that's debatable, but okay. So. <laughs> Yeah, so she's surrounded by a lot of popular people. What about power? Who thinks Taylor Swift has power? Have you watched a football game recently? Does Taylor Swift have anything to do with that football game? So why do they show her and talk about her all the time? Because she controls them, right? She has a lot of power in their lives. Maybe she has power in your life. Yeah, so I would say power, money, you know, popularity, Control, all of these things can, what society uses to define what a successful woman is. Whether you're looking at Proverbs here or other places in Scripture, how do you think that compares to how the Bible would define a successful woman? What are some characteristics we see of a successful woman in Scripture? We see popularity. Not often, no. Do we see money? Sometimes, but no, not always. You're gonna have to talk louder. What do you got? Somebody ratted you out. They said you got something. <laughs> yeah, humility. Absolutely. We see that over and over again in uh, the biblical model of a woman. Are we starting to see how it's much different than what society defines as success? And so as we start to turn our hearts towards what God's word says, we need to let God's word dictate how we define success. Maybe we're not going to see Taylor Swift as successful as God sees her. And that's why I believe our, our talk today is really going to be important, not just for girls, young ladies, to know what a biblical womanhood should look like, but it also needs to be for young men. And some of these areas that we explore today is, am I looking for what the world says is successful, good woman, or am I looking for what God says is a successful and good woman? Uh, Proverbs 31 uh, is a very, it's formed in a very interesting way. Uh, you, you've seen it, and they've probably discussed it in other sections of Proverbs. It's written as an acrostic. What is an acrostic? Anybody know? I know you guys know. Go for it. Give it a go. Like the word vertically, and then each word has a word that starts with that letter. Each word has a word with a letter. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's close, right? Yeah, you, 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 so it's a pattern. Uh, it's a pattern of writing where the first kind of line or the first thought starts with, so you start at the beginning of the alphabet and you work your way all the way through, right? So in our alphabet, it would be A, B, C, and each line or each thought would have the next one. Now, the Hebrew alphabet is different than the uh, English alphabet, which is why when we read this, we're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But in the, in the Hebrew, that's what this is. It's an acrostic. Why do we use acrostics? Why do Bible writers use acrostics? I guarantee you do it when you're studying for tests and things like that as well. It's a good memory device. It's a way to remember. If you're trying to recite a list of things, of characteristics, or things you're trying to remember, this is a useful way to know, 
Okay, A, B, C, D, and if, if the word starts with that, you're going to be able to come up with it a lot easier. So the Hebrew writer is writing this in, in an acrostic, and it's interesting because it's an acrostic poem, and even more specifically, it's a heroic acrostic poem. This is the type of poem or type of writing that was typically reserved for successful warriors. Other places in Proverbs and Psalms, they use the same type of format. So think of what we're doing. We're, we are celebrating this woman the same way that a warrior was celebrated back in this day. I found that fascinating. I found that very fascinating. As we talked about, this is a really a summation of everything else in Proverbs that we have learned. Turn all the way back towards the beginning of Proverbs in chapter 9. In Proverbs, over and over again, we have seen the personification of, of a woman, right? We have seen characteristics kind of brought to life with the language of a woman. Wisdom and folly have both been presented as woman, right? So have been presented as personifications of a woman anyways. It turns a little bit here in Proverbs 31 because we actually see a practical ideal or possibly even a, a historical ideal of uh, a woman, but in Proverbs 9, 1 through 6, it talks about wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. So it's taking this idea of a woman, personifying, or taking the idea of wisdom, personifying it with language of a woman. In wisdom, it's talking about all these good things in Proverbs 9, 1 through 6. And then that's compared to the way of folly, starting in uh, verse 13. The woman, folly, capital F, so actually uh, formally naming her, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. So throughout Proverbs, this ping pong, this back and forth of uh, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly have been presented as a personification. But in Proverbs 31, it turns to present essentially a real character, a real person. This isn't just a personification. Now, it's actually interesting. There's been a lot of debate on, is this actually a historical person that the author is describing here? Or is it just talking about an ideal of a woman? And you can go back and forth. And, and I don't think it necessarily, uh, there are some implications one way or another. Um, but I think we can think of this as a historical, real person. But we need to be very careful when we say that. So both guys and girls, you guys need to listen to this because... There's dangers if we say that this is a person and this is what every day looks like. What we do is, typically what society does, is we put an unrealistic standard on checking the box. And a successful woman is a woman who does this over and over and over again. And that's not really what the author is trying to say here. If this is you know, a real woman or even an ideal, this is presented over time. This is what the life of a godly woman looks like. This is not what the day of a godly woman looks like. There's a lot of contradictions or, or paradoxes that would have, we'd have a tough time reconciling because it says she's up before it's dark, but it also says that her lamp never burns out, which means she's working all night long. Is that realistic? No. But in a godly woman, there will be times when she's up early, and there will be times when she stays up late. So this is the life of the presented life of a godly woman and not something that women need to say, I'm not a Proverbs 31 woman unless I check the box on every single one of these. Proverbs 31 has either uh, has been negatively used for a lot of years um, by women and men have imposed this on them as well, using it to guilt and shame women for not completing their task, for not doing what they're trying to falsely say God calls them to. 
in, a, in a, like a daily or even weekly basis. This is what the life of a godly woman looks like. This is not what the day of a godly woman looks like. We see that the example is set forth for daughters to aspire to, which is why it's important for uh, you young females, and why, uh, but also for you men. This is also presented um, as um, a, a woman that a man should seek to marry, and even for others, that others should live with the wisdom that she demonstrates. So when we think about learning from this woman that's presented here, we are learning uh, from her what involves uh, uh, how we're going to apply this to our life and not trying to be her, right? We're not trying to be this woman or, man, you're not trying to find this woman, but you're learning these things from her life that then you can apply to your life. And think of that in any historical character in scripture, right? There's a lot of great things about Moses that we need to learn and we need to be like him, but we don't need to be him. It's an unrealistic standard. Pick any of your favorite characters in scripture and we need to learn from them and we need to strive to be more godly, but we are not trying to be that person. This is similar to our pursuit even to be like Jesus. Can any of us be like Jesus? No, but we need to strive, we need to pursue to make our life to be more like Jesus. We need to learn and then apply those things to our life. If we're applying that wisdom, we're bringing it down to real life situations. So there are up to 20 characteristics, but I kind of picked out 14 that I thought weren't repetitive of what an excellent wife looks like, uh, an excellent woman. And in this context, it portrays her as a wife, but I think uh, any woman can take these things and make them the pursuit of her life. So we're going to look at 14 there, uh, 14 of these today. I'm going to actually start with the last one. I'm going to start with the last one because Proverbs opens up with what this last one is. If you look at uh, verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What is the most important characteristic of a godly woman? What does verse 30 tell us? When they fear the Lord. Remember all the way back in Proverbs 1, verse 7. What does it say is the beginning of all knowledge? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We can look at the rest of this list and we can look at a lot of other things that we desire. But girls, you should desire to fear the Lord. Boys, you should desire to find a woman that fears the Lord. You've studied it previously. What is the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? That's what we're all striving for, both men and women. What is the fear of the Lord? It's important to know what you're actually looking for. Too long ago, all the way back in chapter 1, we can't recall. What would be a characteristic of someone who fears the Lord? Somebody who hides under their bed all night because they're afraid that God's going to come get them? No, the fear of the Lord is this concept of reverence, of awe, of a pursuit of seeking His glory as opposed to our own. 
I want to be clear that even as we go through this list, and, and, and particularly you know, for, for, for both the guys and the girls here, if we're not fearing the Lord, we're not right. All right? You can have a lot of success. You can be Taylor Swift, plug, plug in whoever you want. You can be those. But if we have no fear of the Lord, we're not right. right? We're going down that path of folly. So guys, whatever standards you think you have for, for females... Attractiveness, success, money, family, being funny, any of those things can and th those can be fine. But if you're not looking for a woman that fears the Lord, you're not looking right. right? You're, you're, you're choosing the path of folly. And as I stand up here, I, I recognize that society has no concern about the fear of the Lord. And you are being inundated day in and day out with much different standards. So for you guys in particular, stop worrying about, stop listening to what the world says, start listening to what God's word says, and pursue women who fear the Lord, who are in awe of the Lord, who have him as their ultimate pursuit. Compared to charm, charm can be deceitful. We've seen the deceitfulness of, of charm in Proverbs, presented as a woman over and over again through the uh, seductress. Same thing with beauty is vain. Beauty is vain. If we're pursuing a, a female for her beauty, you're going to find a lot of vanity in that because the beauty will change, but the fear of the Lord will not. You want to be a Proverbs 31 woman? You want to be an excellent wife? You fear the Lord. And then you look for a woman who fears the Lord. The most important characteristic is out of that characteristic that all of these other ones flow. Once we have a woman that fears the Lord, we'll go through the rest of the list here. We see in verse 10, this is an excellent wife. She is more precious than jewels. Proverbs use that language over and over again for us pursuing wisdom, pursuing something important like jewels, like fine gold. Uh, it is more, should be more precious to you than anything else, right? So women, you are a blessing to your spouse. You are a blessing to other people. You are more of a blessing than wealth, than jewels, than anything else. And then you should hold on to a woman who fears the Lord. Hold on to this woman more preciously than you would even to jewels. Verse 11, we see that the excellent wife is trustworthy. It says the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Trust is pretty interesting here. It has a lot of different connotations. Uh, it, it has the idea of trust that when he's gone, uh, she's not going to run off and spend all his money and credit cards and things like that. But it goes much deeper than that. It is actually an absolute trust that when he's gone, when he's away from the home, he has complete confidence in everything that is going on at home. Right? We're going to see later that the home is actually, for the wife, her domain, and he trusts her implicitly that there is no concern. And the excellent wife, the, the godly woman, demonstrates that. She has demonstrated herself to be trustworthy. So not just trustworthy in money, not just trustworthy in thought, but trustworthy in all that she does, and not just in a single moment of time, but throughout her life she demonstrates that trustworthiness over and over and over again. Next, 
the excellent wife, the godly woman, is good to her husband in, chapter, in verse 12. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So again, all the days of her life, this wraps up. This wasn't a one-time thing she did good, but it was over and over and over again. And we need to contrast the good that she does and the harm that she doesn't do, right? So she's not speaking bad about her husband to others. And women, ladies, you will have an opportunity to speak bad about your husband because he's going to do bad things. And then you're going to do bad things to your wife. And a, a godly wife, an excellent wife, is going to be those that won't speak bad about you. This is a, a hard task because when we are wrong, we so quickly want to blame the other person and tell everyone what's going on and how they've wronged us. But we see here that the, the excellent wife does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Next, the excellent wife is hardworking. We see this uh, really throughout, 13 to 16 uses a lot of language and concepts that may not ring uh, real common to our ears these days. Like, what's flax? Anybody know what flax is? Yeah, me neither. Don't worry about it, okay? So, oh, some of you do know. Oh, that's very good. So, so wool and flax. She works with her hands. She's like the ship of a merchant. She brings her food from afar. This is the idea that, uh, again, back in this day, um, the... You didn't have a Walmart to go to that was pulling food from all over the, the world, right? She had to go out and get some of these delicacies in order to, to serve her family. Um, it talks, she's working hard. She's rising while it's still night. And later we see she works uh, even. She doesn't let the, the lamp run out on her light. She's getting up early. She's staying up late. She's providing portions for her maidens. This is talking about people that work in their house, right? So maids they, they may have. She doesn't just care for her, the, her husband and her kids, but she's even taking care of other people that work within the, within the household. Uh, we have several different examples here of, of her hard work, and this is hard work that is in and out of the home. That is a topic we're not going to completely dive into here, but um, a woman is not constricted to just the work in and of the home, uh, but it is all for the home. The excellent wife is called to a life of hard work for the home, for the family. As I said earlier, the, the home is her, it is her domicile, it is, it is her domain, it is what she's responsible for. She's entrusted with it all the way from God. Right? So uh, she is responsible for it, and she is responsible to work hard in it, both in and out of the home. But the main focus is that it is for the home. Next, number six, she is strong. We see this in verse 17. <clears throat> verse 17 says, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. What does this mean? It means she hits the gym at least three days a week. That was the best I got today, okay, guys? So that, that is not what it means, okay? So it does not mean that she's a power lifter. It doesn't mean that she can run a marathon, okay? This has more connotations of she's moving, and with that movement, just bodily, it, it has made her strong. Because of how hard she's working, she is physically strong. She's able to, to do things. So this is not a charge for women to exercise regularly, although that is important for lots of very reasons. But it is a charge to be active, and in that activity, that physical activity, as you are able, that will build you up, right? If you aren't 
physically strong when you could be. Now, there's plenty of opportunities when you can't be physically strong. There's illness, there's injury, there, there's all these kind of things. That's not what we're, the author is talking, talking about here. But as they're able, they are pursuing a life of physical health and physical strength so that they can serve their household well. Not so that they look perfect in a pair of jeans or leggings or that people will notice them physically, but so that they will be equipped for the work that God has called them to. So a, a excellent wife, a, a godly woman, pursues a life of physical health, of strength. And that can look a lot of different ways. Uh, it doesn't mean you got to do uh, Peloton five days a week. Next in verse uh, 20, we see that an excellent wife is charitable and generous. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. Amazing of how hard she's working for her household, and yet her generosity goes beyond her household. She's not just serving her household, she's serving others in need. And she is doing it with a joyful attitude. The excellent wife is, is generous, is charitable. I think that can look a lot of different ways in, in life. That can look with actually providing for the poor and needy. Let's even just think of ways we uh, are going to do that here at church through uh, providing for meals, providing different uh, child care services, and, and, and all these different ways where we can meet tangible needs of those in need. Right? The excellent wife can do that, and they can do it very generously. Next, they are, uh, she is prepared. She is not afraid of the snow, verse 21, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household uh, are clothed in scarlet. Interesting, well, what is it talking about? They're not afraid of snow for the household. Why, why is she not afraid of snow? Because she's already made all the provisions that her family needs in order to stay warm. So she has been prepared. She knows what's going to be coming. She anticipates what's going to be coming and seeks to get ahead of that, right? So have her family prepared. These are all lessons and things we need to consider. Okay, how does that then apply to my life? What does that look like where, where I am at? This can look a lot of different ways. If you live in California, you probably don't need to be worried about the snow. But maybe you want to prepare your family for earthquakes or wildfires or, or things like that. You are preparing your family in tangible and, and very practical ways. This is perhaps one of my favorite characteristics, number nine, verse 25. She's not afraid. Verse 25 says, strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. An excellent wife, a godly woman, laughs at the time to come. Why do they laugh at the time to come? It's because they're not afraid of whatever is going to come their way. Because they fear the Lord, they are trusting in his sovereignty, they are trusting in his goodness to take care of them. Therefore, any of the concerns of the world, whether it be inside their household or outside of the household, are of no concern to them. They can actually laugh at any of the stressors, right? I think we all know people that, and maybe we sometimes can be those people ourselves that can be consumed. And, and we're not consumed with laughing, we're consumed with crying, we're consumed with worry, with, with anxiousness. The excellent wife actually laughs at those concerns. It is a heart attitude. It doesn't mean that she's actually laughing, but it has a heart attitude of, I'm not worried about those things. They don't bother me. This is an anxious-free woman. 
Next, in number 10, in verse 26, we see a wise teacher. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Both men and women, we should be learning from the godly wife, from the godly woman. She has great wisdom with which to share, and she shares it with kindness. There's much wisdom in a woman that fears the Lord and is practicing all of these things. Number 11, she is kind and caring. Verse 26, or the back half of 26 that we had just looked at, the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. There's great kindness in this woman. She's, uh, we've seen the demonstration of how she's cared, not just for her household, but for those in and out of her household. Kindness and a caring attitude are common. Uh, number 12, uh, in verse 27, she uh, manages her household well. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. This uh, summarizes a lot of the different things that we've looked at of, of how hardworking that she is, that she is a good manager of what God has entrusted to her. She is a steward of the husband, a steward of the child, children, a steward of all of the resources, uh, the home and, and all the furnishings and everything else. She stewards those well, and then she manages them well also. And, and to do that, there, uh, there cannot be this bread of idleness. There cannot be a laziness in it. This is an active process that takes days and weeks and months, and it, it takes an entire lifetime to continue it. This is not, I worked hard today, so every other day I'm going to go ahead and take a break. This is marked by regular hard work of, of managing the household well. What do these things lead to? These things lead to blessing by her children and praise by her husband and others. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. So this uh, biblical concept of blessed is almost a happy. So they call her happy, call her blessed. She is then in turn blessed by her children as well. Does that mean the excellent or godly wife always has perfect children? By no means. That uh, will never happen, but it does mean that uh, her children see uh, her blessing. That, uh, it is evident of how happy she is and what God has called her to do. This has led to uh, her husband praising her as well. Very powerful words of encouragement and praise here in verse 29. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Men, when, when your wife is doing the things that can be in the woman that God had calls her to be, that level of encouragement, that level of recognition of all that she does should mark your heart, should mark your behavior. You should say, there's a lot of wives out there, but you're better than them all because you pursue the fear of the Lord and you pursue to be God's kind of woman, God's kind of wife. This doesn't just lead to uh, praise of her husband, but even others. Verse uh, 31, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So in the gates is just this idea of kind of the city square. Others are recognizing the hard work that she is uh, putting in. I hear this often about my own wife when they hear that we have six kids. 
which is way too many, uh, and that she homeschools. Like, your wife is a saint, right? Her work is being noticed by other people. They are praising her for the work that she's doing of not just managing six kids, but also even homeschooling them uh, as well. Now, our kids are all easy to homeschool, obviously, but except the ones we send to public school. All right, so uh, 14 characteristics of what we see uh, an excellent wife or a godly woman is. And again, we need to protect ourselves. Guys, you need to protect yourselves from saying, all right, I need to find a woman that hits X, Y, and Z, or, or is the acrostic, A through Z, okay? And women, you need to protect yourselves from saying, if I'm not this, I'm failing, right? Again, realize that God has given us in his word an example of what a godly woman looks like throughout a lifetime. And this is not a box that we need to check every day. This is a pursuit of our life. So we should not be uh, overcome with guilt and shame because we aren't per perceiving ourselves to meet up to the standards. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that we need to even do any of these things. And so as we're walking through life and seeing, feeling that we are failing in some way, we need to fall on God's grace and say, but God, but God, I would not be able to do any of these things without you. So we thank God for his empowerment to be able to even consider these things. Now this is a hard lesson, or at least it has been a hard lesson for me to, to try and wrap up to bring it a little bit more to street level for you guys because many of you are a ways away from seeing this, but I, I, I or being in these, this stage of life of having to be an excellent wife or, or having to look for uh, a godly woman that, that meets this, or at least many of you should be uh, a ways away from that. So, uh, but, but I think scripture is important, scripture teaches, and all the way back in Deuteronomy 6, we're called to teach these things to younger generations, to, to our children. So these are things that I do think are important to be on your mind uh, even now. Um, so don't just say, well, this doesn't matter for me. I'll start dealing with this kind of stuff in a few years. Or when I start getting, uh, when I start dating somebody, I'll start evaluating this. Or, or, or women's like, well, when I'm about to get married, then I'll start seeing what this looks like. You guys are setting the foundation now, boys, for what you're looking at a future spouse and females for the ways you can demonstrate these things now for a, a, a life of God-honoring service. These are not things that start when you get married or even when you're thinking about marriage. You're starting to, to build these foundations now and understanding them now are going to uh, pay off for you and perhaps save you from a lot of heartache and a lot of pain that may come your way if you don't pursue the fear of the Lord, if you don't pursue being the woman that God wants you to be or looking for the woman that God wants you to look for. So even though this may feel far off for you, I want you to continue to kind of hold these truths and, and keep them and think of them often because they're going to be more important for you than you know, um, even today, but especially in the days to come. So there's a lot there, a lot of different directions we could go, but questions you guys have on the Proverbs 31 woman. You can ask Chris. All right, so let me close some prayer. Uh, Father, uh, again, your word has no, no lack, Lord. Uh, you've given us such a, a great and powerful example. And perhaps even more amazing than that is you have uh, given us your spirit to help us live these things out, Lord. Uh, these are great 
wisdom principles for us. All these are, are great things that all of us uh, should aspire to. But we know that we can do nothing uh, apart from you, Lord. So just continue to humble us. Uh, continue to give us a, a heart of gratitude for uh, your word and the wisdom that is found in there. Uh, and even as we wrap up this study of Proverbs now, Lord, it has been so rich. There are so many truths that we could study day in and day out and, and still not exhaust them. Uh, but the knowledge alone is not enough, Lord. So just turn our hearts uh, to or from the knowledge to the action. Just let these truths lead us to fear you more, Lord. Let these truths lead us towards the path of wisdom, towards the path of life, that our lives will be uh, just so uh, evident that we are living a life for you and not for ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen.